0: So we are on 1 Corinthians 13, and I'm going to read it first in the New Revised Standard Version. And then uh, Ed is going to read it for us in the the Remedy Version. Okay. So, If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge... And if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions, and if I hand over my body so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know only in part, and we prophesy only in part. But when the complete comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put away an end to childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part. Then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. And now faith, hope, love, abide. These three, and the greatest of these, is love.
1: All right, so in the remedy... Uh, I am gifted to speak the language of people and angels but do not have God's love in my heart I am only making meaningless noise because I remain terminal and dying if I am gifted with prophetic insight and understand all mysteries and knowledge and if I am trusted to move mountains but do not have God's love in my heart I am a fraud because I am still dying in sin and am nothing at all If I give away all my possessions to the poor and die as a martyr, tied to a burning stake, but don't have God's love in my heart, I am still unhealed and have gained nothing. Love is the principle on which life and health are built to operate, and when activated in intelligent beings, love is patient and kind. Love gives in order to bless others and does not envy, boast, or promote self. Love is not intrusive, rude, selfish, irritable or hot-tempered and love doesn't hold grudges or keep a record of wrongs love takes no pleasure in evil but rejoices through the truth love always protects, heals, restores, builds up trusts, hopes, and preserves love originates in God and therefore will never stop and never fail but one day prophecies will cease, taking will be paused and human knowledge will fade. We are finite Knowing just a part of all truth and prophecy is just a piece of a greater whole. But when God restores the universe to his perfect design of love and all imperfections will disappear. When I was a child, I talked like a child, bragging about myself. I thought like a child, focused on do's and don'ts. And I reasoned like a child. But When I grew up, I embraced God's kingdom of love and put the childish things behind me. Our minds are so darkened by selfishness that we see God's kingdom poorly, like a reflection in a cloudy mirror. But when he returns, we shall see perfectly, face to face. Right now I know only part of God's reality. Then I will have all questions answered and fully know the truth, just as God fully knows me. So these three endeavors, trust, hope, and love, but the grace of these is love.
0: So, here we have a standard version, Mm. the New Revised Standard Version, which, by the way, is a revision that goes all the way back to Tyndale. And I have Tyndale's translation right here. Tyndale is the first translation of the Bible into English Mm. after Wycliffe.
1: Oh, after Wycliffe.
0: I, I believe after Wycliffe. And what is interesting is he uses the word love in this chapter. Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, yet had no love, I were even as a sounding brass and as a tinkling cymbal. It's very similar to the New Revised Standard Version. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's essentially the same. I mean, just a little more antiquated language, mm-hmm. or antique language, but essentially the almost the same words. But in the Coverdale Version, I believe it was the Coverdale Version, which was a revision of Tyndale. Tyndale had a host of revisions that Mm -hmm. uh, come after him uh, until the King James. Even the King James Version is a revision. In in Coverdale's Version, it's charity. It's not Mm. love. So Tyndale was the most idiomatic translation in terms of, he wasn't stiltified, he wasn't churchy in his translation. He, was, he translated for the common, ordinary person. Mm-hmm. And so he translated it love,
2: mm.
0: which I think is the most appropriate. Mm. The question before us is, what does this chapter have to do with atonement and salvation? And I'm going to start by suggesting something. Well, I, I would jump in the middle if I did that. So I, I'll back up. What, let's start with verses 1 to 3. Okay. What does that have to do with salvation and atonement?
1: Well, it really emphasizes if we don't have love, we can do everything else. It looks like charity or caring or support of others. But without love, and I guess we're talking about a changed character that is all for nothing.
0: Well, you think about it. We think of the high premium the Adventist Church, for example, mm-hmm. places on prophecy, the spirit of prophecy. And yet Paul says here, I can have prophecy, but I can have prophetic powers. It's all worthless. It's all nothing if mm-hmm. I don't have love.
2: Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Or, or you think about the Christian attempts to explain things. We can be able to explain every mystery there is. But if we don't have love, we have nothing. We could have faith, absolute faith, which is the requirement for salvation, isn't it?
2: Hmm. I mean, Mm
0: -hmm. we we believe in righteousness by faith. Faith. That is, It is our trust in God that enables Him to heal the damage done. Uh, Not that that enables him to do it. He has the power to do it, but Mm. he can't bypass our choice. And our choice is to trust. Mm. We could even have faith needed to move mountains. But if we have not love, we are nothing. Does that mean that love is a requirement for salvation?
1: Well, the emphasis is is that he's going to change our hearts, change our Character. He won't change our personalities. So I understand, in heaven we'd have our personalities, but we won't have the same character. It'll be the character of love. The character of... So
0: how does, how does he do that? How does he change our hearts? I, we, it, he just suddenly give us love? Uh, before my conversion uh, experience, I realized I didn't love God. And it didn't matter whether love was a principle or a feeling; I didn't have either one. And so I began to pray for love. I began to pray that I would love him. And I expected him to send a warm sensation into my heart, Mm -hmm. and I would love him, Mm
2: -hmm. Mm -hmm. and
0: everything would be, my prayer would be answered, and I'd go on my way, on my selfish way, I might add. Then I read a sermon by Morris Benden, in which he emphasized that. Uh, to know God is to love Him. We can't love Him unless we know Him. And I was like, okay, what does that mean? <laughs> I thought I was really in the dark. And uh, then he, he went on to say that if the way to get to know Him was to spend time with Him, and he suggested spending time reading Desire of Ages for half an hour a day. Well, that was something I could do. Mm. So I was still in a works mode. So I pulled up my alarm clock and I sat down in a chair and I opened Desire of Ages and I read a little bit of Desire of Ages and I looked at the clock and it was only f- five minutes had gone by. And so I read a little more and only two minutes had gone by and I read a little more and only two more minutes had gone by and, and I spent more time looking at the clock almost than <laughs> I did Desire of Ages. Uh, and nothing happened. Nothing, no warm sensation came as a result of reading Desire of Ages. It took a dramatic encounter with God for me. And I know that doesn't happen with everybody, but it took a dramatic encounter with me, with God, for me to love Him. And what I had to realize, what I had to be convinced of, is that He could be trusted. I had to know that He could be trusted before I could love Him. So my inability to love Him it was rooted in my inability to trust him.
2: Hmm.
0: So my belief in, and this took me years to, to really uncover First John 4:19, I believe it is. First John four nineteen is a very short verse, but it is probably my favorite hmm. in all the Bible. We love because he first loved us. I have probably used that text more than any other in the entire Bible. Because I try to get my students to understand that we cannot generate love. We cannot of ourselves love God. We cannot of ourselves love another person. And I'm going to extend that beyond salvation. No being in the universe and love apart from being loved. And we've proved that scientifically by the studies that have shown that infants who are not loved die. Mm. They cannot develop love Mm. on their own. And so to the extent that we've been loved, we can love other people. We can love, to the extent that we have been loved by God, we can love Him in return. But it doesn't come from us. We are creatures of response. We are not creatures who are sources of love. Only God is the source of love. And every being in the universe is a creature of response. And they respond to the love of God by loving Him back. That's what we were made to be. That's how we were wired.
1: What you're saying is is that He loved us first, and as He loves us, then they we're able to receive love and then start giving love and that changes us when working with people that have a lot of anxiety and there's another study that just came out again about this that behind anxiety is fear but one of the ways they're talking about really helping people with anxiety is start doing nice things to other people being charitable Uh, going out of your way, you know, acts of random acts of kindness. So it's really an expression of what you do when you have love. And they say, well, what happens, that changes people's anxiety and their fear. Rather than just getting rid of, say, something you're fearful of, like dogs biting you or something, Mm -hmm. you do it by...
0: Petting the dog.
1: (laughs) Right, or by doing acts of kindness and so forth. And so there's something in the process of giving to others that changes us. So what I'm wondering also then, because you're saying that we need to trust the Lord, how are we going to get to know Him and trust Him? And I I do believe we should read the Bible and the of Ages and so forth. (laughs) But what... Do you tell to someone, how do I learn to trust the Lord? Do I ask for something and He gives it to me? Um, how do I develop well, that's how trust? A
0: child, that's how a child develops
1: trust. right? right. And, and chapter 13 is saying here, when I was a child, I do it by you know, memory. And so as
0: heart. a child, we, we prayed and our prayers got answered right. and then we learned to trust yeah. God. And certainly that was the way it but worked so in my life. So many people
1: as adults are on that childish level. Yes. So what do we tell them as a, an adult, how you should view it?
0: And so often adults, when they pray for things, they don't get them. Right. I, I encountered that in Asia, where I was teaching for several years. Uh, I, had, I was studying with some young men uh, who wanted to learn more about God. And I discovered they were raised very secular, very, uh, or Buddhist, or something else, and they had no childhood experience of learning to trust God because he answered their prayers. Mm. And I, re- I began to realize as I dealt with them and as I inquired in their thinking and, and really got a handle on, on how they thought, that they really had a gap, a real gap, an experiential gap, developmental gap mm. uh, in their lives. And that could never be replaced because their prayers now as adults weren't getting answered the yeah, same way right. they would have they, when they were children. Right. So I I remember struggling with how do I present that how how can an adult with filled with anxiety uh, who doesn't trust God uh, how can I help that adult
2: hmm.
0: find that without answered prayers because that's that is one of the uh, I want to say primal bases
1: in I was human beings bases right
0: uh, that human beings pro quid pro yeah. How do we do that? How does that happen? And one of the ways that I have found helpful in adulthood is to take my favorite story of Jesus, for example, or any story of Jesus, and imagine it happening to me. Imagine him doing that to me and modernize it however I need to in order to make sense in my reality. But imagine him as... My physician
2: mm-hmm.
0: and how he would heal me, how through that story, how he would heal me because those stories have details that are very healing if you tap into them mm-hmm. uh, for example, when Jesus heals the first leper, he places his hand on his shoulder
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: The first touch that that man has experienced since he got leprosy, Jesus touched him and i don't believe he just casually touched him or patted him or, or let go he put his hand on it and
1: held it there he made a there. connection
0: he made a connection yeah. and and forever and ever that man went away feeling that hand on his shoulder
2: mm-hmm.
0: and it brought every time it brought healing and that ability to trust because it, trust is a bond right
2: mm-hmm.
0: it is not a thing it's not a, an intellectual assent right. it is not um just i believe that's all that matters right. to me you right. know right. it is that i have a bond now of this person it's it's like putting the infant as soon as it's born before it's bathed before it's uh wrapped in clothing before anything putting it on the mother's naked skin and on the father's naked skin to build that bond. Mm-hmm. It builds trust.
1: Right. And that bond isn't a uh, set quotient. It's a fluid, dynamic exactly uh, movement between, exactly. say, the mother and the child. It's a real dynamic flow there, and it, that doesn't stop.
0: And that's very important to know because God is totally dynamic. He is not static. Right. And, and uh, a little history lesson here is, I think, in order. Uh, we are mostly Greek in our thinking. And the Greeks thought in stasis, static, and in spatial, place. They did not think in terms of the Hebrew Bible. The Hebrew, Hebrew thinking is dynamic mm. and temporal time. And not in the sense of controlling time and marking time, but in the sense of living in time mm-hmm. and time for relationships uh your your more simple cultures use time for relationships they do not use time to try to create towers and mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. build things and, mm-hmm. and and do projects and and all of that they use time to create to relationships. So you think about when we get to heaven, everything's about relationships
2: mm. up there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: It's not going to be, we're not going to be trying to crank out another book or, or crank out a PhD or do something like that. Right. Right. We're going to be investing in people and relationships, and those bonds are going to grow in their dimensions, and we're mm. going to come to understand things that we would never understand otherwise. Mm. Uh, so, it's important that we not think Greek. The Babylonians, I think, in their idol worship were very spatial. They were also dynamic, but they were very spatial. And idol worship is sta- is, is spatial. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very static.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: You have to make the gods move. You have to make them do things. You have to, you know. Whereas in the Hebrew Bible and in the New Testament, our relationship with God is very dynamic. Mm-hmm. It flows out of his love for us. That creates that bond of trust that enables us to um, to love back. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it, with your adult patients, you have to say, the first thing you need to do is, is get on your knees and ask God to fill you with his love, mm. to love you, and to help you receive that love. Because we, if we don't ask, God isn't going to force it on us. We have to ask.
1: We have to ask, right.
0: And I think that uh, I was asking and asking and asking, and God finally answered through mm. a, a kind of a long process. Mm. To me it seemed long. It was only a few months or weeks, mm. but through that process. And and that night when I uh, was practicing preaching a sermon, God won the only convert, in the, I mean, the only person in the room mm. that was listening to the sermon. Mm. And he changed that sermon from a sermon to an experience.
1: An experience. Mm.
0: So... I see this as, as all of God. It is not something we create of ourselves. We, we are powerless. No, no. And, and the sooner we realize that and, and really ask for his love to fill us, uh, the sooner we can do that.
1: Well, the Bible makes it very clear that we can do nothing for salvation. Right. You know, our own works, our own activities. Right. And then chapter 13, those first verses are reinforcing that. That on yeah. our own endeavors.
2: Yeah,
0: absolutely. Now let's look at verses one to three in terms of Jesus. Jesus could speak the tongues of mortals.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: He had prophetic powers. He understood all mysteries and all knowledge. Mm-hmm. He had all faith so to as to remove mountains. He gave everything, including himself. Mm-hmm and handed over his body to be crucified. Mm -hmm. And if he hadn't had love, he was nothing. So he did all those things, but it was his love that made them count Mm. for anything.
1: So, verse 4, and the remedy is, love is the principle upon which life... So that's the life and health are built to operate
0: now my version has love is patient and i'd like to elaborate on this the word for the hebrew word for love i mean for patience is long suffering now that's our translation of it hmm. what it literally means is slow to anger
1: Because yeah, long suffering it seems to me is taken to mean you can just keep suffering and suffering and having uh, poverty or illness or dying or you know really negative. Things. It's really not the and best. You just sort of go along with it. It's really not it. the best. Um, use of the word. I'm
0: trying to see here if yeah we get it from Tyndale. Love suffereth long.
1: Hmm.
0: But and that's not the best translation, and most translations now translate it, love is patient. Mm. Love, slow to anger, means patient,
2: mm-hmm,
0: you mm. see. I would like to propose that patience is the closest we get to the opposite of anger.
2: Mm.
0: A patient person never gets angry. Well,
1: and When I, you're negotiating, and if it's in situations where there's a lot of disagreement about what you're negotiating, one of the emphasis they teach you is to be patient.
2: Right.
0: So if we're patient, we're not angry. Hmm. Which, so you could say that love is never angry. Hmm.
2: Hmm.
0: Or at least if, if we take the slow to anger, love is rarely angry. Hmm. And I'd like to take us to Revelation chapter 14. And I'm going to start with verse 9. No, I'm going to start with verse 8. Eventually, someday, we'll get to this chapter. Um, Then another angel a second followed them, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great She has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. That is a chain construct chain of genitives. The wine of the wrath of her fornication.
1: Now, in the remedy, words are a little different. Yeah, I'm sure it does. It says, the second messenger followed the first. Proclaiming throughout the world, in quotes, Don't trust Babylon the Great, a symbolic description of the religions that misrepresent God. And it has fallen into the lies about God and intoxicates the world with its pagan views of God, maddening the people with its adulterous ideas that God coerces and must inflict punishment if not properly appeased.
0: That actually does hit to hit pretty closely at the very end there what the wine of the wrath of her fornication yeah. is. Wine in the Bible represents blood. And actually in Revelation it represents blood. blood. Because if you look at um, Revelation 18, verse
1: 24.
0: Uh, Revelation what? 18, verse 24. And in you was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all who have been slaughtered on the earth. That's her wine.
1: In in verse 24, Yeah. you killed God's spokespersons and friends and your methods caused the death of all those who have been killed on earth. Wow, that's Mm -hmm. pretty strong.
0: But the the mention of blood is important here. Read yours again. Uh, And in you was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all who have been slaughtered on the earth.
1: All who have been slaughtered on the earth.
0: It's it's the Babylonian model that has led to wholesale bloodshed. Mm. And so if you go back to uh, 14, the wine of the wrath of her fornication is the blood brought about by her anger in union with kings. Her fornication is the fornication of kings. Let me read uh, chapter 18, verse 3. For all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her. If you were to go to the Chicago Assyrian Dictionary, which is a multi-volume work, it's like Twenty-two volumes, I think.
1: What is the title again?
0: Chicago Assyrian Dictionary. That's its, that's its colloquial name. It has a longer right. name. Wow. But it has all the places that they had, at the time that they made this dictionary, all the places they had that had different words. Hmm. If you look at them, they're ordered and according to time period. In the time periods where kings are angry... Angriest, where there's the most entries, gods are also the most angry.
2: Mm.
0: There are the most entries. Mm. The relationship between angry kings and angry gods are, is very, very close. And if you look at that, there's a, there's a statement in Assyrian, and the Bible does not fully differentiate between Assyrian culture and Babylonian culture. When, they, when it says Babylon, it means pretty much the city of Babylon, but it also overlaps with all these other cultures. So mm-hmm. I, I feel free to use the Assyrian literature as well. There's a, a document by Ezra Haddon. No, Ashurbanipal. Ashurbanipal was one of the most tyrannical kings of Assyria.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: He was the uh, grandson of Sennacherib.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And he was uh, writing about an officer, a Babylonian officer, I believe, who he wanted to honor. And so he put a curse on anyone who tampered with his grave. Hmm. And he says, by the wrath of God and king, if you touch this grave, Hmm. this Hmm. will happen to you. Hmm. That pretty much typifies this whole construct in ancient Mesopotamia that when kings were angry, gods were more angry and and they actually saw the gods as through the lens of mm. their kings that's Babylonian anger mm. it is tied to kingships because the Babylonians fornicated with or Babylon fornicated with kings mm. that the uh, bloodshed from the wrath for fornication with kings took place mm. 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 now let's go to verse 9 of chapter 14 Then another angel, a third, followed them, crying with a loud voice. Those who worship the beast and its image and receive a mark on their forehead or in their hand, they will also drink the wine of God's wrath, poured poured unmixed into the cup of his anger, and they will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. There is no rest day or night for those who worship the beast in its image and for anyone who receives the mark of its name.
1: In uh, verse 11, it talks about the memory of their sufferings and the lessons of self destruction choice
0: remain forever.
1: Will never be gotten, forgotten throughout eternity. Yeah. So that means in heaven we'll remember all this?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: We better, or we would repeat it.
1: But there's lots of, I don't know, just Seventh day Adventists, but I think Christians that believe when we get to heaven we won't have any memories of all this.
0: Well, that's a pretty dangerous state to be in.
1: Yeah, because <laughs> they're saying we'll have no memory of it and, and all the bad deeds we did. and
0: Our memory won't highlight it, it won't dwell on it but we will have this memory of what sin did to us.
1: And we certainly won't have the pain that it caused us and others.
0: but we will know that. We will have learned, and we will remember. So I would like to propose to you that the wrath of God is unmixed, as opposed to fornicated. The, wrath, again,
2: the, the wrath, wrath of God cry. is unmixed,
0: Un- unmixed in the cup of his anger, and, it's, and yes. it's tormented. The cup is a receptacle to receive it. God's wrath is, in a sense, like patience. He is allowing all the evil and all the bad things to happen and to culminate and to maximize until they become, become totally mature. And then he allows, he allows that cup to overflow and just pour it out. So it is not contrary. It's not opposite to patience. So if you go to verse 12, here is the call for the endurance of the saints. That is the patience of the saints. Those who keep the commandments of God and hold fast to the faith of Jesus. I maintain that if, if, if we endure patiently, the trials that beset us. We, we aren't angry. And why would God be angry in the Babylonian sense when he's just denounced Babylon? Mm-hmm. The Babylonian model of anger is not God's anger.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: God's anger is this unmixed anger that is is—it's unmixed with kingship and royalty and power mm-hmm. and all those things. His anger is patient. And he only lets it out. He only lets the consequences of sin take place, which is really his anger. It's it's letting go of having letting people have their way, mm. letting their choices uh, actually work out. Mm. The consequences in being inherent in those choices, not in something God does. So all of that he only lets out when it's when it's ripe and full, and the world has to see. This is what it does. Mm. Our time is up. We could move on to... Already? Oh. Yeah, we've, we've, we've probed this pretty deeply. Mm. So maybe next week we can finish chapter 13. Okay. Let's have prayer. Dear God, we thank you for the model that Jesus has given us of your love. We thank you that for the richness and the depth, the height, the breadth of that love. We thank you that we do not have to generate this love on our own, but that we can go to you and ask that you will enable us to receive your love and that we will be able to uh, love in return. We thank you for all this. In Jesus' name, amen.